right, well, I want to welcome everyone to the second annual Aspen Alps Lodge number 224 Drug Awareness event. Um, we have a panel going. You guys are all experts in some way in regards to drug and alcohol, and you're here just to pass along your advice. It's very casual, very easy, free form, and then we have people to ask questions. So I'm actually going to start here and have you introduce yourself, what you do, and um, then we'll pass, just keep on going, and then we'll open it up to questions. Okay, thanks. Hi, uh, my name is Angela Marion, and I work with an organization called Salvation for a Drug-Free World. And we have a whole educational program where we have booklets and videos and lessons where we use it in a lot of schools. I work with public uh, officers here and up and down the valley all over Colorado, and it's an international organization, and our goal is just to educate It's a, based in Los Angeles, it's an international organization, and I'm a volunteer for the organization, and I live here in the Valley. Yeah. Angela actually participated last year, so yeah. we have Good evening. Thank you for inviting me. I'm Bennett Bramson. I'm a business faculty member at Colorado Mountain College, uh, former executive director of Aspen Youth Experience, previously known as Grassroots Aspen Experience, working with at-risk youth and teens throughout the United States. And prior to that, in another life, I was the executive director of field services for the United States Department of Education's Southeast Regional Alcohol and Drug Education Training Program. Boy, that's a mouthful. <laughs> and uh, working with school districts doing prevention and education throughout the southeastern United States from Washington, D.C., all the way down to Puerto Rico and the Virgin Islands. Thank you, Bennett. Um, hi, everybody. My name is Bobby Ferguson. I'm the owner and founder of Jay Walker Lodge, which is a drug and alcohol treatment center in Carbondale. Um, we opened 15 years ago. Um, my background is that I am uh, chemically dependent and in recovery myself since February of 1992. Uh, I worked in the field for about 10 years before we opened Jay Walker. And um, we treat men ages 18 and over with a history of previous uh, failed attempts at recovery uh, and or uh, relapse or previous treatments. So we're kind of a specialty program. Um, over the course of uh, a six to nine month treatment experience there, guys will integrate into the local community. We have about 160 of our alumni living and working in the uh, Roaring Fork Valley. Um, and. Uh, we're gratefully a participant um, uh, doing community service with 39 organizations up and down the valley. We speak frequently, our, our clients and our staff speak frequently in the schools um, on education, prevention, and awareness. And really grateful to be here. And yeah, that's it. Hi, my name is Lorray Kantav, and I am a life coach here in Aspen, and I work with a lot of youth, and like a lot of you, um, I've had drug addiction touch my life in an intimate way uh, with people that I love around me, and having uh, teenagers, it's very near and dear to my heart. 
um, to provide support to our young people in a way that enables them to move forward with support. Um, so that's why I'm here tonight to speak on vaping, which we all know is an epidemic. And um, the best way to get a hold of an epidemic is to act. And I think that's the important thing that we all need to really recognize is there needs to be a call to action. And what does that look like for our valley? It's important to just put things in motion and take steps and make sure that support is there. Again, working with teens, I often see where they're not quite feeling like they can move forward with momentum, with the support they need to feel like they're heard in the way they need to be heard. So uh, that's always my objective, is to provide the support. Um, Vince, before you start, I'm gonna ask everyone to please speak up a little bit. Great. Not <laughs> usually my problem, so okay. <laughs> Did you say speak up or speak a lot? No, oh. no, no. I'll try to be brief. And if you could speak. Yeah, right to into mic. it. Perfect. Yeah. Okay. Um, my name is Vince Savage. I'm a psychologist in the state of Colorado, and I have been in Aspen since 1986, when I came here to run the then owned by St. Luke's Hospital place called ARU Aspen. It stood for Addiction Recovery Unit Aspen. It's written on the and back. And it was primarily a cocaine alcohol treatment center, residential treatment center. It was right up by the base of oh Tyhack Lift, uh, right behind there. Art and Betty Fister's house. So I got I'm to know all three sister <laughs> girls pretty well in the time <laughs> we were there. But um, I've been in Aspen ever since, except for side trips internationally to consult and so on. Uh, I Look, now am the executive yeah. director oh, of the Aspen oh, Homeless Center, oh four to oh six. So which there you may go. seem like a step oh, you know, away from psychology, but it's really not. We get um, a lot of interns and people coming from other universities around you know, Antioch and Denver no, University to come work with us okay. because in the Aspen Homeless Shelter, we probably get a broader array of DSM-3 oh classifications <laughs> that people can um, come and wow, get I don't think I could, could call a kind something. of a good internship experience. <laughs> yeah. And the advantage is most of our people aren't medicated. They're maybe self-medicated, which also brings the addiction thing to play. So, um, yeah, and I'm, I'm a little bit of a uh, renegade psychologist. I got started back in the 60s talking people down from acid trips uh, near Piedmont Park in Atlanta. So. You know, I've done a lot of work of that sort of thing. I actually kind of ran away from home when I was a teenager to work with Martin Luther King Jr. at the Ebenezer, Ebenezer Baptist Church on Mitchell Street in Atlanta. So ever since then, I've been saying yes to oddball things. I've worked in the Middle East as a conflict resolution person. I spent several years in the northern part of Canada uh, working and setting up addiction programs for youth who used inhalants, meaning anything like gas, propane, paint, anything with inert ingredients that kids can uh, try to get high on. And uh, I have some things to share about that too if, if anybody's interested. So currently, you know, I have a private practice in town. I do work with a lot of youth, especially suicidal youth. And um, I run the homeless shelter and that's about it. Sounds like enough, Vince. <laughs> Said it sounds like enough. 
Good evening, my name is Charlie Curtis. I work with the Aspen uh, Fire Department as the fire education, prevention, uh, and fire inspector, actually. Um, and I'm happy to be here and help in any way I can. That's it, Charlie? <laughs> <laughs> we got to follow Vince. What's it going to take? <laughs> Mike Tracy, I'm a sergeant with the Aspen Police Department and have been on the department for about 17 years now. Before that, I was in the military and served in the military for five years. Uh, during my 23 years of service, 22 years of service, I've seen every level of addiction you could possibly imagine, every level of mental health and mental illness you could possibly imagine. And we almost daily deal with some level of both of those things in my job. Um, I'm happy to be here and answer any questions you have. And I'm going to pass this on to Franz. Thanks, Mike. My name's Franz Zedlocker. I'm a police officer in Snowmass Village. Um, one of the areas that I specialize in is um, paired driving enforcement. So I teach the other police officers at the police academy how to detect um, impaired driving. And so that's one of the areas that I, I teach and specialize in, um, in addition to being what's called A-Ride trained, um, which is a, di a different level of um, impaired driving detection as well. Got my own, so we're all set. Oh, yeah. Uh, hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Bobby Jones. I am the uh, medical manager, as well as the uh, group events and kind of social outreach uh, liaison over at Silver Peak Apothecary about a block that way. Uh, I've been in Aspen for about two years now, and uh, my main motivation for getting into this industry, uh, aside from you know the good it's doing for everybody, is specifically the, the medical side, um, specifically with the opiate crisis. Um, anybody that we can get uh, out of the hospital and into you know something like a dispensary with something you know a little more natural away from uh, you know harmful drugs uh, and substances like that is uh, always really exciting, and that's that's why I got into this. Uh, I was pre-med in college for a long time. Uh, trying to swim Division One and uh, do that route was uh, was challenging. So I, uh, I'm a double major in econ and foreign language. I uh, use a little bit of the foreign language at work sometimes, um, but uh, not not necessarily degrees you would expect to uh, yield a career uh, in the cannabis industry. But uh, very excited to be here. Uh, know there are a lot of pressing questions given the news cycles these days, especially with regards to vaping. So again, happy to be here. Well, great. Thank you all for being here. Um, I'm going to open it up to questions. Does anyone have any specific questions they want to ask? Debbie. Um, do you think, well, let's say you see somebody driving erratically, do you have a test? Yeah, so there's a variety of different tests that we, we look for. Uh, we look at the totality of the circumstances in every impaired driving investigation. So it's not just the test that we focus on, it's, it's the driving behavior. Um, it's the roadside tests and ultimately a chemical test if that were to go that route. Um, and there are chemical tests that can be used to detect various levels of drugs as well. Is it something that you can do right there? Like the when the people drink alcohol, you can have them blow something. Yep. So uh, currently the Colorado State Patrol is um, testing uh, saliva, which can be used on the side of the road. Um, it hasn't been brought out statewide yet, so most of those tests ultimately that will detect a certain level um, will get done at a facility. So in this case, it, it might be a hospital um, where the blood draw is actually taking place. Um, and is the is the offense uh, along the same lines as? It's the exact drinking? same exact same offense as um, 
alcohol. Impaired, so, impaired yep. driving. So in Colorado, we don't have a separate DUI statute for drugs. Um, it's all incorporated into one statute. Great. Anyone else have a question? I'll come. Oh, okay, Debbie has more questions. Okay. <laughs> all right. So all these kids, uh, well, every people that are vaping, and they have this this big um, news release now about people dying. Do you know if this is impacting the youth and that they're not doing it? Do you have any information whether they're reducing their vaping with the news? Who wants to do that one? Go ahead. And I had um, a student who was just having a really tough day, and I said to him, you know, we don't have to do this now. We can do it later. And so a little bit later, I kind of said, you know, is everything okay? And he said no. And he said um, he and his five friends, who are pretty hardcore vapors, um, he didn't tell me if, you know, what they were vaping exactly, but he said they've heard all this news, and they have got a pack together, and they are quitting. So... Cool. Um, awesome. Yeah, that was, I said, you know, he said, give me five days. I'll be different in five days. And it was just really impactful for him to make that choice and to, to open up to me. I'm a new teacher, so, um, you know, just kind of getting relationships with these kids. But I thought that said something. And I'm really, I'm from the Midwest, so um, it's been a little bit of a culture shock coming out here. And we've got a lot of the same problems, but I'm kind of uh, tip of Appalachia, so the problems are diverse, but um, I just, I don't know, I just, I was, I was impressed with their maturity level for the seniors to take that, and hopefully, um, my goal for being at this is to kind of take some of that back, I have my two kids out there as well, but to take that back to the high school and, um, you know, be able to just have an open conversation with them about, you know, what's happening right. and, and how they can prevent and how they can change their ki their friends too, because I think that the peer pressure is a lot of it, so. Thank you, guys. Come. Thank you, guys. Uh, Bobby, well, this might be a good segue for you to be able to talk about your vaping device. Sure. Um, so, a lot on the news lately, obviously. Um, things fall into kind of one of, I'm going to say, three categories here. Um, you have your nicotine-based devices. Uh, these can look uh, quite similar to uh, a lot of the, you know, for instance, the PAX era is specifically one uh, that resembles the Juul, which is a, a nicotine based vaporizing device. So you have your nicotine ones that are full of what's called e-juice, um, kind of colloquially uh, amongst uh, that age group. Um, and then you've got your cannabis-based devices. Um, both of these are going through some kind of testing of, of some kind. And then you have your third category, which uh, is, I'm hearing more and more about this since this release. It's only been a couple days, so we're being inundated with plenty as well. Um, and those are basically You've got this packaging uh, that you can buy from China. You can throw whatever you want on it, Cherry's Jubilee, whatever you want. And it's full of all kinds of stuff that is unregulated, unknown, untested. Um, and that's what these kids are getting their hands on. Not to say that they're not getting their hands on the stuff that is tested. Um, you know, and again, when I say tested, it's to make sure no heavy metals, lead, stuff like that. They're still trying to put nicotine into people's bodies by all means. But um, you know, there's a little bit of a, a difference there uh, in the packaging that you can get and fill with kind of whatever you want. Um, so, for instance, this is the PAX era is going to look very similar to what we've all seen on the news. Um, it actually used to be one company that produced both the Jewel and the PAX uh, until they kind of saw that before everybody else was as creating a potential problem uh, in the two industries. So uh, I've got a lot of concerned parents coming to me this week, uh, especially. Um, I'm not going to go ahead and say that the THC ones are, you know, 
safer. This is all very new industry. Um, we assume that the THC ones are a little bit safer because they're all plant derived. So just about everything in at least everything that we sell, every part of that oil uh, is derived from the plant itself. Uh, what companies were doing early on uh, was using thinners such as propylene glycol. Um, that was the, the big one. Um, it's present in a lot of things that we see today uh, that we consume and we just don't know it. But this was a big one and it was um, something that they found a way around. They're now thinning it with something called terpenes, which is what flavors uh, naturally um, anything from cannabis to pine needles to citrus rinds, stuff like that. Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, so these are mostly, um, almost all of them are medicated. Um, so if you decide to put it in your mouth, you're going to have a fun time for the next eight hours. Um, but uh, I've brought basically a little bit of everything. Um, a couple of vape devices, vape cartridges, what they look like, a couple examples of edibles, uh, and then kind of the old school, uh, anything involving flour, a couple uh, blunts, a joint, and then some machine rolled pre-rolls, which are right here that look more like... Each one? Sure. So this is a brand called Toast. Um, this is going to look most like a cigarette. Um, that was by design. They are machine rolled pre-rolls. Difference with these is that they are a CBD THC blend. Um, the intent was for it to be a social thing that you could smoke the whole thing with your friends if you had somebody that's a cigarette smoker, but you're not and out at a party, out at someone's house, so on and so forth, you know, smoke at about the same rate. CBD does a lot of really great things for your body, including imp improving your mood as well as the THC. So they work really well together. This is great for people that are new to the mountains, new to smoking, um, new to the altitude, all kinds of stuff like that, just a little on the lighter side of things. It is not, these are, um, these are filled with cannabis and you'd light it just like a cigarette. Yeah. So with well, if you were a non-smoker, you wouldn't want to smoke it anyhow. Correct. It, in it. it doesn't have tobacco in it. Oh, it doesn't. does not. It just has THC. Correct. So they take basically um, some flour from a THC plant and the CBD plant. I'm going to use those words, even though it's a little more complex than that. Mix it together, uh, and it's all anything that is wrapped in is uh, hemp derived. So there is no tobacco in any products that we sell um, legally. There cannot be. Uh, there is not. Once it is out of the packaging, that is it. Um, so, smell-wise, yes. Yeah, absolutely. You've seen these before. If anybody wants to. Yeah, legally, they don't have to. Um, there are very strict regulations on what the packaging uh, needs to have on it. Uh, and so that part is compliant. But as far as the actual joint itself... Not required to label it specifically. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. When you say regulated and tested, mm -hmm. who's actually doing that? Is that a state thing? Yes. So there are labs all over the state. Um, it's pretty rigorous. Uh, as far as the intricacies of it, I'm not quite as familiar. But uh, needless to say, for things to even arrive in our shop, they have to be in child resistant packaging. Um, they, every driver has to be badged, um, so you go through a pretty extensive background check before the state of Colorado will say, yes, we think you're okay to work around controlled substances. Um, as far as once they are in, um, you know, in productions, uh, they go to testing facilities that will determine potency. Um, Regulation-wise, edibles cannot exceed 100 milligrams per package. Um, on the recreational side, they cannot exceed 10 milligrams per piece. So they're testing things like that, making sure that there are no, like I said, heavy metals or you know other things which 
really wind up ending up in these at that stage. Um, but they're also testing for, uh, I mean, each batch comes from a plant, so you're gonna wind up with a variance. They have a 15% variance that they are allowed to fall within. Um, for instance, we've got some edibles right now that are technically five milligrams per piece. They're testing at six and a half percent. So not gonna, or sorry, six and a half milligrams. Not gonna make a huge difference, but it is labeled and it's legally required to be labeled on the package if there's a little bit of a difference. Um, beyond that, I know these are happening in really scientific labs. Most of the people signing off on these testing reports have some sort of PhD or you know, even MD after their name, so it's is weird. Is that a state of Colorado thing, or is that a marijuana industry run? Everything is kind of done state by state at this point, so it is a, it is a Colorado um, you know, statute right now. California has their own, Nevada has their own, um, and ultimately it will be up to the states, probably for the foreseeable future, uh, until the federal government decides to change something. Take the edible around and show yeah, them. absolutely. Bobby, if I may, two quick questions. Um, first one is, it's my understanding that Altria has now bought Jewel. Is that correct? I am unfamiliar. I'm not sure. Yeah. Altria is Could a be. tobacco manufacturer, so I, I heard that recently. The other one is, I grew up in a home with uh, two smokers. Sure. I was not a smoker. Do we have any studies that talk about the effects of secondhand smoke from Vaping at this point. <laughs> From vaping or marijuana, I'm, uh, that's a great question. I'm not sure. Um, as with anything, uh, you know, everybody's heard of the contact high. Um, this dissipates pretty quickly, especially the vape, um, since it is technically a vapor, it's an oil that is being vaporized and not so much a smoke. Um, I would have to assume that there are similar concerns with secondhand smoke. Uh, now with nicotine, it's a little different because you're, you're exhaling multiple harmful chemicals into the air, and that's the, the concern with secondhand smoke there. Um, with this, you know, again, this is a new industry. I'm not going to comment on you know the, the pluses and minuses of how healthy you know, smoking uh, flour would be, uh, but you're not exhaling excess carcinogens and, and rat poison and you know whatever else they're putting in cigarettes these days into the air. So, thank you very absolutely. much. Absolutely. I'm just passing around, um, it's just a photograph that I had gotten from another officer, and it shows what at that time they considered an overdose of fentanyl and heroin. <laughs> it's, you were talking about contact, and that's one of the big issues that are going around. I'm wondering how the police department and the law enforcement and fire department are dealing with that. Do you really have much of that, or? We don't have a lot of fentanyl up here, but a lot of... <laughs> We're told and taught that a few grains of that fentanyl in that picture can be deadly to us, even if we come in contact with it. So it changed the way we do things as far as processing evidence. Uh, we have to wear certain masks, we have to wear gloves, obviously. Um, but it just raised everyone's awareness because this stuff is going to kill you. You just have to be very careful with it. So, what are the drugs that you mainly see? In Aspen, it's typically cocaine, marijuana. That's about it. I mean, we have a little bit of heroin. We have a little bit of other things, but the mainstays that have been here for 30 years are still here. That's what people use, and that's what uh, we find the most of. I don't know about stuff. Yeah. 
we're very similar to what Aspen has. Um, just to kind of piggyback off of what you said, this has really changed over the last couple of years. Prior to prior to a couple of years ago, we were processing drug evidence on scene um, and testing on scene in most departments. I think have moved away from that um, because of the dangers of fentanyl. So um, the reason for the reason the drug dealers are essentially using fentanyl to cut their product with it is it increases the potency, and the way they find out. Um, you know what the safe level of the fentanyl is in there is by how many people die from it and then they kind of recut a different batch so it's uh, it's a morphine morphine um, pain in our industry that we're, we're paying attention to now I'm trying to remember um, fentanyl that is that the yeah. elephant drug it's a hundred times stronger than morphine basically yeah. So you're talking about elephant tranquilizer, which is ketamine. Ketamine, um, that's what I was trying to remember. Right. Yes. Fentanyl is typically used. Its, it's uh, prescription purpose is you know, treating cancer patients and people in extreme pain. Um, but the drug dealers are now lacing it with um, the other drugs. Are they making it? It's made, yeah, fentanyl is made. Some, some of it's made domestically. Some of it comes in from China. Some comes in from Latin America. So it just kind of depends where you get it from. How does this uh, affect like a car accident? You know, when you're trying to interact, I mean, any of your calls, how does it in affect you? As far as impairment goes or? Well, more with interacting with the people that are on the drugs. Are they, yeah. Is it challenging? Is it just like every other day? Is it? We haven't really changed how we deal with our citizens and customers. It's always fairly calm but these drugs can cause people to go into a psychosis if you will uh, something that was taught to police officers for years is cocaine psychosis um, where they the chemical imbalance in the brain is so bad that they the person that's ingesting that drug acts completely differently uh, they can have awesome strength uh, usually they take all their clothes off and run around like they've lost their mind. And that's a very dangerous, for, from our point of view, a very dangerous person to be dealing with. Um, and it's always something that's taught in the police academies about someone that is in a cocaine psychosis. Well, that was old news. Now we have this. Um, you have fentanyl and carfentanyl, which is an even bigger brother of fentanyl. And it, it can make people go crazy and then die right away after that. Um, their heart just can't take the pressure. So we try and keep the peace on scene to go back to your basic question. We try and calm the situation down as much as we can because if we can get someone that's elevated, calmed down and de-escalated, that's gonna help them and us. So that's our main goal. Um, ramping up that situation is just gonna cause their heart to beat that much faster and that much more pressure is on their brain and heart and that can lead to severe medical issues or death. So we're really trying to, on scene, control that as much as we can. This month's AARP magazine, the paper, it, the front page is about marijuana. And it's about, and they've done research with marijuana and many Basically, you know, it says 
Yeah. Yeah. Now we see uh, that probably, um, I mean, if I had to think about it really quickly, it's makes up probably the biggest demographic that, that I deal with. Um, and that makes me happy because that's why I got into this. I mean, anybody can get somebody high that I'm glad it's available. I am. Um, but no, I, I, that's my favorite part is that I get the most reward out of helping somebody. Um, I had a woman come from New York uh, right after I started and this was kind of, you know, the reminder that I was doing the right thing was she had psoriasis and had struggled with it all her life. Um, you know, tried everything, topicals, oral pills, everything. Um, and just a after a night with uh, some of our salve that had, you know, both THC and CBD in it, she's like, it's not just better, it's gone. Uh, and I mean, was almost moved to tears. Uh, and so, yes, it is. It's, um, I've got a great, I brought this with me. Um, so the Cannabis Health Index, it's not, you know, this is not any kind of official, all bud tenders read this. This is, you know, the medical marijuana Bible, but it um, is a great resource um, if you have any interest in treating, you know, again, not just physio physical ailments, but mental ones as well. Uh, they talk about using cannabis in conjunction with, you know, mental exercises, uh, meditation, stuff like that. Um, over a hundred different ailments in here that, um, uh, the author referenced and had done research on and um, barely through the first, you know, 100 pages of this. And it's it's really fascinating. And is you know, I'll probably go home and read another 200 pages tonight. So um, but yeah, we work with a lot of a lot of people that come in aches and pains, especially with this, you know, mountains being around here. Everybody's sore from from something or other. Um, and yes, yeah, so we're seeing a lot of that. <coughs> I love it. Exactly. No, they're actually most doctors aren't even required to complete a basic nutrition course, um, and so and certainly not uh, a medical marijuana training of any sort. Hopefully, that will that will begin to change. That's my end game is to open you know somewhere that. They can come either after surgery or you know trying to ditch pain pills something like that either i would work with a doctor or go back to med school myself um and do that and that that's really my my kind of big dream is to to be able to say great you don't want to go the opiate route come see me we'll work with it so you can get a prescription because for instance my dad called the other day it's not a prescription that is written out here it's basically an md saying you have a condition that meets the requirements for um you know additional milligrams and edibles, basically medical marijuana products. So it's up to us to take their condition and kind of play doctor, which can put us in an, uh, an interesting position because we're not doctors uh, as much as we, some of us would like to be. So every time I recommend something, it usually starts with, I'm not a doctor. Um, and if they have questions beyond my scope of knowledge, I'll refer them to their doctor. It usually involves, does this inter interact with any of the drugs that I'm taking? Um, I've got lots of interest in medicine, so usually I can answer those questions. Whether I should is uh, another another conversation, but um, yeah, so we I get a lot of those those questions a lot. Okay. Well, thank you. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm gonna move from Bobby to Bobby, and I was hoping you could tell us a little bit about your facility. Sure. Um, I mean, Jay Walker Lodge is an extended care residential treatment program for men with a history of. Uh, previous treatments or multiple relapses and our core conviction is that while 
detox and rehab is necessary, it's not adequate. And what happens in 30-day programs is you get containment, assessment, detoxification, and education, but you don't get recovery. And as messy and scary as it is for everybody involved, um, you know, the reality is people don't, people can arrest their active addiction and rehab, but they get sober in community. So that's what we do. We're an open community model of care. We, I was just talking with Bennett earlier. We've had hundreds of our men enroll at CMC. Most get jobs, um, you know, in the second 90 days of their experience here. So it's um, life on life's terms, with a lot of accountability, um, and like-minded guys with a common call to purpose, kind of a mulligan in life, and their last chance at, at getting it right. Um, lean on each other and get engaged with the community and, and try to um, you know, take it a day at a time. So I, I would say though that to parents in our community that are concerned, um, I wish someone had told me much sooner on, and uh, we're always wondering where's the line between recreational use, social use, and, and addiction. And I've told and, and found myself talking to many families about this. And I think the one thing that's useful to know is that more often than not, it's a quality of life issue. What is the nature of my relationship with the things that matter to me most? And is there a distance or a disparity between how I'm showing up for my own life and my core beliefs? If I'm a hardworking guy who's honest and values my friendships, but I blew off work on Monday, lied about it, and can't look my friends in the eye, there's something in the way. And that something can be marijuana, it can be alcohol. It really is not the kinds, amount, and frequency that the individual is using. How many drinks, how many times a week, how many joints, it's what is the nature of that person's relationship with what matters to them most. And that's what, as important as it is to recognize a gummy bear from a gummy bear or a vape from a vape, what we really need is families that sit down, have honest conversations with each other, have dinner together, lean in, tell your own story, talk about bad choices you've made, and then model the healthy behavior you wanna see from your kids. So I think that's really what we try to get our guys to talk about, not the glamorous, exciting times in their addiction when they're talking to a sixth grader, but you know what it looks like when you see a friend drifting away from showing up for his own life the way he used to. Well, and you know, the, with the alcohol, they say that you're a lifetime alcoholic, and I'm assuming it's the same with drugs. So there are a lot of ups and downs. Would that be correct? Yeah, mostly downs. You know, <laughs> um, alcohol for alcoholics, many of us, it it gives us a little shot of courage, and 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 sort of many of us drank in order to broaden our universe, become a little less self-conscious and to forget about um, the awkwardness and self-consciousness that we have in those formative years. So it sort of works until it doesn't. The ironic part is that people who use cocaine and use alcohol and then become dependent on it will tell you that what we took to enlarge our universe left us in a place that was very lonely and very small at the end of the day. So that by the time I was able to get sober, I didn't have a real friend that was sorry to see me stop drinking or to stop using cocaine. They were grateful and glad um, that I had gotten the memo and was willing to give it up. So, 
Well, I'm glad you gave it up. How do people pay for being in the program? Yeah. I mean, if they've gone that route, they are probably broke. Yeah, there's um, the Affordable Care Act and um, Americans with Disabilities has created an opportunity where uh, there are an increasing number of addiction treatment providers that will take both in-network and out-of-network health benefits. Jay Walker Lodge is an extended care private pay program where we will advocate on behalf of families after the fact for reimbursement. The sad truth is that um, it's hope for the best, plan for the worst, pay us up front, and good luck with the insurance companies. If I had known back 15 years ago what I know today, I could have built and designed a business differently. But the reality was I started with a list of ideas and dreams and, and thoughts about what the best possible the Disneyland of, of recovery could look like with this like-minded brotherhood and engaged in a community, and then engineered a program that ended up <laughs> in an expensive zip code, costing a lot, and helping a very small percentage of families in truth. The reality is that um, about 10% of the guys who do come through our program are local. The other 90% are referred to us by other treatment centers that are struggling with their patients and say, you look like a jaywalker, you should go there. We do some scholarships and discounts. The path for those families that need help is an organization in, in town here called A Way Out, which provides intervention, referrals, and scholarships for anybody in the Roaring Fork Valley that has an unmet need and financial need for treatment. Um, I'm grateful to be a board member on that organization. We do about a million dollars a year in scholarships just for local residents. Very few of them end up at Jaywalker. Most end up at uh, lower cost programs. But the track record of success there is fantastic. Um, but you gotta be willing to work and do whatever. You know, those scholarship dollars are hard to get and you gotta be willing to do the deal. But A Way Out um, is an awesome organization that's helped a ton of families. Okay. Could you explain what a J Jaywalker is? Oh. <laughs> Jaywalker is kind of a term of trade in the treatment field for a stubborn, relapsing alcoholic. I was grateful that we could call our program Jaywalker Lodge and not totally freak out the neighbors because it sounds just like a hunting or fishing lodge. Um, it's a way of sort of uh, looking our clients and their families straight in the eye, but then having an ordinary sounding name, but the reality is um, jaywalkers are referenced in the basic text of Alcoholics Anonymous as um, uh, strange chaps with a queer idea of fun leaping in front of fast moving vehicles with this compulsive desire to do it again. So at the end of the day, a jaywalker is someone that knows what he needs to do intellectually but hasn't gotten himself engaged in a, you know, a, an into action. And as you were talking about, it's about action, um, walking the talk, and that's the profile of the guys we treat. Yeah, a um, couple comments and uh, acknowledgements. My daughter has just written uh, in the skier paper about vaping. 
and Tessa Guthrie's thing. It's kind of interesting. I thought it was great. And she took a photograph of a kid who didn't want to show his face <clears throat> and the, the vapor coming out of his mouth and kind of surrounding his head. And it's a pretty black and white article. Another thing I wanted to ask or say is I got sober in 1986 with ARU, Amy, Jeff Kramer, you, and I think had a lady named Emma, I can't remember, um, a long time ago, um, and just I'm real grateful. Yeah, well, my memory has come back, which is a frightening thing. I had what I call the black decade. I, I started drinking very, very early and just kind of kicked it into high gear when I played rugby and was 21 and in Aspen, et cetera. <clears throat> and um, I just, I know for a fact about where my line is, and, and it's, it's a little frightening because I'm not, a, I smoke cigarettes for about a day and a half and just, I was sick for weeks. And so thank God that God gave me that message. And I have to say that I'm real grateful for that. But I'm, I'm not seeing, um, I actually asked Roxy's to stop selling vapes <coughs> um, just because I went to a conference, you know, 15-person conference out at the high school, and nobody was asking the question. And I just said, well, would you stop selling them? She said, no, it's too much money. So I, I really want the county to say, we're done. We're done in Pitkin County. There's no discussion. And, and it, it just, how much more evidence do you need? Uh, you know, and, and I don't know, and I, I see no politicians here, which is astounding to me. We have a high rate of suicide, a high rate of embezzlement, a high rate of jaywalkers, uh, a high rate of everything that's bad. And it's on the surface is all this one nice, wonderful little made up hedge fund guy town. And it's not that way. <clears throat> and I kind of want to live in the truth instead of some mirage. Um, and having kids in the high school get killed and get in car wrecks and get this. I am, I'm on a scholarship board and it's called the Chapin Wright Flatiron Scholarship and it's named after a kid who got the scholarship from a family here in town and was killed on the way to the high school party in 1972. And that affected a lot of people. It's affected me to this day. I've been on that board for I don't even know how long. But most people let that drift away you know, and it's kind of buried in my genes a little bit. And I have two daughters, a freshman in college and a, the one that just wrote this article. And I don't see the, uh, how do you want to say it, not heavy enforcement. Because I know Mike, I, I know all kinds of people. I grew up here and the police knew my, uh, what's his name? He's a realtor now in Snowmass, Rulon. He knew where I lived. <laughs> and my sister was taking care of me. You know, everything that could have gone wrong was set up to go wrong. What well, did for a while? But that same system came back and saved me big time. And um, and I have started using C well, I haven't used CBD. I started using it on a basis because I've been in pain my whole life, and I couldn't sleep. And the first time I did it, I said yeah, I was a little scared. I slept for seven hours for the first time in 21 years. But I don't do it. I've done it about every month or so. Um, but no, zero THC. I just I don't want to take. That's not going to happen. 
I'm kind of talking too much, but I, I'd really like to see a more active <clears throat> um, statement because if people aren't ready for it, great, that's their problem. You know, and I'm a little bit harsh about that, but there's kids driving cars at 95 miles an hour and be lucky to be alive. And a kid in basalt who was a great athlete who got smashed into a rock because he was sitting on the door sill. At what point do we say, you know, enough is enough? We're supposed to be further evolved than when I was a kid, right? <laughs> and we're not, you know? And, and we have great police people. You know, they're human beings, and it, it's real. The humanistic thing is wonderful, but so does there have to be a consequence. And most of the people in this town live consequence-free. That's the way I see it. And a lot of people are coddled. It's a great book called The Coddling of the American Mind. And it's amazing how people live here just totally detached from reality, completely detached. And I appreciate, guys, and I think I knew your father. <laughs> you, know, so, you know, but that's enough. I, I just, I'm, this is a, a, a thing I care a lot about with kids. And oh, thanks, David. Does it, anyone want to address that? How I, I would like to, um, because like I said, I do have two young daughters that are also in the school system. And that's why uh, my main plea is a call to action. As we know, this valley is very rich in resources, um, which can be uh, a double-ended sword, kind of. Um, but it's really important we understand the magnitude of what's happening right now. I mean, one in five high schoolers are vaping. That is incredible. And if you think that it's not going to affect you in some way, it is. One in 20 middle school children are vaping. This is an epidemic. And we don't only need to talk about the statistics here. We need to have the support readily available for these children. Again, another area that I've dealt with firsthand with the school district. And it's wonderful, we have a few families that you know, come up with good ideas and I'm not knocking that and they fund it very well, um, which is great, but we really need to have immediate steps of how we support these children because it's a matter of, as you were saying, accountability. And if we don't have the support there, how can they then be accountable for the steps to go in the right direction that we need them to go in. Um, this is not something we can kind of say, okay, we're gonna project it six months out, and this, we need to have immediate action. Again, I'm dealing with it firsthand. The resources aren't there, aren't available. Even as a life coach with training, certification, understanding, firsthand experience, I see the gaps and I ask about it and I want to help because that's my passion and that's my heart to help and I'm not able to because it's not been established in a systematic way and we need to really 
take the moves and take the steps immediately. Um, these are things that should be addressed every week in school and you know the admin should be meeting on these things and talking about these things and stepping up to give the support that's needed for this issue for sure. If I may, and it comes back to your question, um, I've been an educator since 1979. So I've been seeing these issues since I was in high school. And one of the things I think has been a serious problem is what I call modeling. We talk about the issues. We all know what the issues are. Um, and I have so many friends in this community, one of the healthiest counties in the United States, and we talk about our meditation, and we talk about our yogas, and we talk about our healthy lifestyles, and we talk about veganism, and yet if you look on Facebook, what you'll see is almost every one of your friends in their picture, they have a drink in their hand. And what we do is we then tell our children, it's that old walk the talk, not talk the talk. And so we keep telling our children, this is what you need to do, and I'm going to share some information with you. And then what we do is come home, we've got to have our afternoon drink, or we've got to have a drink with dinner. Or, and usually it's not marijuana at the table, those kinds of things. It is, you know, the alcohol. And so I don't think we're going to be able to modify a lot of these behaviors until we start modeling the correct behavior for our children. And if they see us drinking that drink every afternoon, or that we've got to have those beer or two or three at night, we're sending the wrong message. And that's one of the things I've seen now for 40 years in education, is that kind of message. I also, last year I took the Basalt, Pitkin County, and Carbondale Civilian Police Academy. Great program, wonderful. And any of you ever have a chance to do that, sign up for the police academy. And it's not going to make you an officer, but it will help you understand what our, what our law enforcement officials go through on a daily basis. I use that opportunity to do a number of ride-alongs. Every couple of weeks I like to do ride-alongs. And I wonder if you gentlemen talk a little bit about what you see in terms of the difference between people that you stop who are smoking marijuana versus the people that you, that you stop who are drinking. And I know I have my own perspective, but I'd like to hear it from professionals. So we talk about physical impairment a lot when we speak about alcohol. Everyone's seen the, the guy that can't walk down the line, right? Everyone's seen the guy that falls over getting out of his car. We don't typically see that as much in cannabis-specific um, or marijuana-specific um, impaired driving. It's more of a mental impairment. And so the things that officers are looking for are a bit different than what you would see, but impairment is impairment is impairment. And so the officer will look at the totality of the circumstances on that car accident or that traffic stop and make their decision as to whether or not that person's impaired based on everything that they see on the side of the road. So it's not just one specific thing that the officer is looking for. It's, it's a totality of, of everything they've seen. Do you tend to see more violence on the part of those who've been drinking, at least on the stops that I went on? The people who were doing marijuana tended to be lethargic they tended to be a little slower. They tended to be, oh, I'm sorry, dude, I just want to get home, get a snack. I, I think it's the important. Ones that, the ones that were drinking, oftentimes, I mean, some of the stops that I was on, it was, it was aggressiveness, it was abuse. Um, sometimes there was violence that was there. And I, do you see much of that in the marathon? I'm going to answer that question with a question of my own. What do you think the number one reason that officers stop people for and then find out that they're impaired is? Any I'm thoughts on that? 
for marijuana impairment specifically? Oh. I, I know this answer, no. but. <laughs> Correct. Everyone says driving too slow, right? The actual answer is speed. The actual answer is speeding. So it's, I think it's important when we have these discussions, just like Bobby alluded to earlier, not to generalize. Um, impairment's gonna affect somebody differently depending on their substance and who they are and, and their chemical makeup and their, genetis, their genetics and um, everything else going on in their life. So I think it's important not to generalize. What we're looking for is specific type of impairment um, and, and the factors. <laughs> right. You said that, Vince, not me. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. So what if you are a parent and you suspect your child is vaping or uh, doing, uh, doing drugs? What would, where would you, what would you tell that parent? Where would you tell them to go for help with their child, to know what to do about their child? I mean, I have, um, my, my son's 23 and my, my daughter's 21, um, and they both grew up here. And, um, you know, we, with, with our family, my, uh, I met my wife in an AA meeting 27 years ago. So their genetics, their odds on their genetics are terrible, right? They're, they're 10 times more likely than average one in 10 gets the alcoholic or addictive gene uh, statistically. There's 23 million uh, folks in, Amer in, you know, in the United States uh, with substance abuse disorder. Um, if you have one parent, it's four times more likely. And if you have two, it's 10 times more likely. So they were sort of on, we were on red alert from, from the outset. Um, growing up in the, in the Aspen, uh, community, um, you know, there's affluent families, there's a um, open-minded uh, sort of uh, liberal lifestyle. We were on the front edge of public health policies around medical marijuana that was, all due respect, not medical in the least. Um, so we were having constant conversations with our kids. So my short answer after all of that was we talk to the guys, we talk to the kids. You know, we, we share our own experience, our good and bad choices from our own story, let them know that life is about choices and consequences, good choices leading to good consequences. But I think at the end of the day, um, you know, it was really important um, to be honest, to know that there's no wrong way to love your kid to make them feel safe in that conversation, to let them know that you're fallible, that you make mistakes, that your questions come from a place of love and concern and not judgment, that if it was about judgment, that's a two-way street and they could judge us. We ate dinner together four nights a week, every week at least. Bedrooms are for sleeping, so we had them not hang out in their bedrooms. I bought a box of drug and alcohol tests, you know, little, the cups that you pee in, I showed it to him on the first day of middle school. I said, let's practice doing one right now. 
I'm glad we got a negative result. I never had to have them pee in the cup again. But they're kids in Aspen. I'm sure that they weren't, um, you know, the preacher's kid is probably not the perfect kid. He's, he's going to be getting into uh, stuff. I also feel like if they're playing on sports teams, their word is their honor, and they need to honor the athletic contracts. So those are the conversations that we would have. You know, and um, as far as who to turn to and where to go, um, I think there are some terrific resources. There's great counselors in the, in the high school, both in both up Valley and in Aspen, I mean in Aspen and down Valley. Um, and you know, we have deep resources, life coaches and others. Um, if I want my kids to feel safe turning outside themselves for advice and direction, I have to turn outside myself for advice and direction and show them that I don't have every answer, that I get overwhelmed, that I ask for help, and that I assign meaning to other people's suggestions about my situation. So I gotta model that. So, and what would you say about resources? I agree, there are many resources, but again, I think they need to be readily available within the school system, placed within the school. We have enough money to fund these programs in this valley, as we know. The public school system is largely privately uh, funded. So it's a matter of us really um, being advocates for each one of our children, uh, really having a voice, speaking up, supporting certain issues, keeping your eyes open to it. And I think it's important not just to wait until you have clear evidence in front of you of what's going on, but as a parent, to really be proactive and uh, engage, as you said, and in that engagement, have open eyes for what's around you, what you see. Um, there's you know, pods and such that you may find and y you pick something up and you say, what's this? You know, you're not familiar with these uh, certain devices. And if it looks like something you don't recognize or something that's questionable, most likely it's something that's not good and something that's related to uh, something they may be keeping hidden. And yes, as you said, it's so important to come across to them with love and compassion and look at ourselves because that's the only way they're gonna open up to us. In this day and age with so much going on and these children have so many more pressures than we ever had in our youth in today's world and they really just do need our support. And they are often willing to be accountable and take the steps but if the support is not right there, we can't say, go here, go there, call a line. We have to be readily available and say, these are the steps, I'm with you, I'm gonna support you, I'm gonna show you how to take these steps, and I'm gonna keep talking to you about what, is it, what it is you've done you know, today, or your you know, outcast, your, um, your overview for what you want to achieve, and the steps to get to that, because it's easy, again, to have a protocol, say it should work for everybody, but as we all know, we're all individuals, very different, 
very different variables, very different lifestyles we've come from, families, parents, et cetera. There's just so many variables involved, but the main thing we need to do is give the support and through love first, yes, because that's the only way they're gonna open up to us and share and feel like they can be move forward in the way that they need to. And you know, these are the kids that are gonna solve many of our issues that we're dealing with currently. You know, they're our future leaders and we need to treat them as such. We need to treat them that they are that important to us, their mindset, their um, perspective on something. And where their perspective may be a little skewed, we have great opportunities to step in and give them clarity where they need that clarity. And it's amazing what children can do when we give them that amount of support. I've seen it myself. I've seen people turn around that you would never imagine in a million years when they just feel supported. So very important. Well, we're very fortunate in this valley to have both um, Aspen Police Department and Sheriff's Office have school resource officers in the school district. And I was hoping Mike could address that and just kind of explain what their role is at the school. And then um, I was hoping Vince would, could chat about what we were just discussing as well, because that's his forte. Sure. Um, school resource officers, in my opinion, one of, if not the most important officer we have. Um, they mind our future. Our future is our children. So that's why I like to see school resource officers in any school across the nation. Um, and they are there to be a resource for the kids. They're also there to hold them accountable as well. So they do both things, which is a fine line to, to really walk because it's difficult. You can't be a buddy with everybody, um, particularly if you're an authority figure, such as a police officer or a sheriff's deputy. Um, so they walk a fine line, and they serve as a go-to for some kids that really need someone to go to that they can't get at another resource, the counselor, Aspen Family Connections, or et cetera. So our resource officers do function in that uh, position. Um, while that may be informal, it really does turn out to be helpful for the kids in the long run. The relationships that are developed between Brian Stevens, our school resource officer, and Huff, the county's resource officer, um, are lasting. We have kids that have graduated and still call them by their first name, still uh, fondly remember them, and the older ones from your generation too, probably. But, um, you know, it's, it's a great position and it's a great thing that we're allowed to do. Um, not many people know this, but the school doesn't even fall within my jurisdiction. That's the county's, so we are there with the permission of the county, uh, and we are allowed to have an officer in the schools, which is a great thing, and I hope it continues forever. Okay. I'm gonna take this discussion in a different direction. I'm still responding to you, but hadn't been able to grab the mic until now. Um, <laughs> I think the question is much deeper and much more cultural than any of the super, I don't want to say superficial, sur any of the surface solutions. I think by the time we reach the point you asked, how do I talk to my kid? I've got him vaping. Uh, it's too late. I don't mean too late, hopeless. I mean, there was opportunities missed decades before. And Bobby, you said talk to your kids. I say talk with your kids. There's a world of difference between talking to 
and talking with because the typical parent thinks they know more than their kid. And in reality, they don't know more than their kid about that, that person's life. That if you find a way to have conversations with your offspring, your children, friends of your children, even your peers, where you respectfully really want to know what you're dri being driven by is curiosity, not control. And usually we get to the point, uh, you know, and in fact the best police officers I've had contact with over the years actually do the same thing. They're not coming on strong with control, like, oh, stop right there, you better do this. But you've already got an adversarial situation going when you reach that point. But the police officers say, come on, I know you, what were you thinking? And they really mean, they really want to know what were you thinking, you know, and people don't come clean with that very quickly. We have a cultural problem of being authentic. We really, really do. And what, where the drugs and alcohol and every other kind of addiction, whether it's relationship or sex or you name it, is when people substitute something material, some simple, ma some simple solution for what is really a much more complex process. And I think people we call kids, children, are just young adults, and they are coping with one of the hardest things in life to deal with, and that is the concept of emancipation. And they actually start emancipation from the first time the three-year-old says, no, you know. Uh, they're testing out their own independence against the power of the, the almost mythological power of the parent. Um, how many of you have ever watched or seen or familiar with the series with Bill Moyers and, and uh, what's his name? Down here, uh, Joseph Campbell called The Power of Myth. Anybody ever watch that? Came out in 1988 and it's seven series thing. And they, the thing that was cool about it was they used the Star Wars imagery in the Star Wars story to discuss the experiences of life that everybody encounters. Uh, one of them being the hero's journey. That's the name of one of Joseph Campbell's um, books called The Heroes or the Heroine's Journey. And people ask in that dialogue, well, what's all this mythology stuff? And Odysseus did that, and you know, this, this uh, Greek goddess or god did that. How, what does that have to do with my life? And Joseph Campbell, very wisely, says it has everything to do with your life. If you will just look at how much that has to do with you creating or discovering meaning in your life that is going to be stronger than the appeal of any of these little addictive processes. So um, I agree wholeheartedly with Bobby that the 28-day CERT programs were somewhat successful at getting people to look at a few issues. Sometimes they worked. Sometimes, more often, recidivism was the name of the game. But what does work is when the cultural contact you have helps create meaning in your life that's more important to you than a quick journey aside. Now, what do you say about people experimenting? Like I said in our little intros, I spent a lot of time in Atlanta talking in a street, you know, a street front uh, drug rehab kind of drug intervention crisis center talking down people from their acid and their MDA and their sh shrooms and, and that was kind of the thing back then you know 
Um, <clears throat> and it always came down to trying to find out what had more meaning to people in their life than the quick escape. Escape from pain, escape from, uh, escape from uncertainty, uh, escape from feeling like everybody's telling you what to do. So I tend to take issue and often become controversial with people who want to tell kids what to do or, or tell anybody what to do. That's the last thing kids want. Kids want to discover, hopefully, among a group of solid peers, not peers that are going to lead them more into addiction or experimentation of a dangerous nature, but more into, hey, here's what matters to me. You know, I want to do this, and I want to do that, and I don't really see a place for this, this other stuff. So I think it's a lot more complex, and it starts a lot earlier than most of us think. And we would love, in fact, the addictive personality would love to have a pill, you know, would love to have a quick remedy for all this stuff because that's the nature of addiction. You want a short-term need gratification rather than a long-term need investment. So the work I do with people is often very much over time. Uh, kids I met in middle school who were suicidal, and parents sent them to me saying, I hear you work great with suicidal kids. I go, I don't know about that, but let me get into a dialogue with them where I help them focus on what is really meaningful to them, especially if it is at variance with what their parents think is meaningful. I have a metaphor I use a lot, and that is how much success is there in prying open the petals of a rose bud to make a rose very little? At best, you're going to come up with some macabre version of a rose, as sometimes we end up with our kids. You know, a, a macabre version of our kid who's successful, and they went to Harvard, and they did all this, and then they start feeling suicidal, or they end up, you know, um, in serious treatment or some kind of serious trouble. You can water the root. You can provide sunlight to a growing rosebud, and then you really have to sit back and discover what is this child going to become? And it may not be what you want them to become. So I, that's my advice to parents is nurture the root, provide the sunshine, sit back and bask in the glory. And in this, uh, along the way, as you have dialogues with children, find out what's meaningful to them. Because their experience in fourth grade is way different than your experience in fourth grade. <laughs> and their experience in middle school is way different than your experience. And just th these products here, I mean, this is important because it describes <coughs> the environment they're in. You know, back when I was a kid, it was like drink beer or smoke cigarettes. It was kind of your choice, you know. Then the 60s came along and uh, got a little bit more robust. But um, So that's, that's my take on it. <coughs> I know that's not terribly satisfying because it sounds like a whole lot more work than where do we refer the kid or what book can they read to solve this issue. But the issue is much deeper than we think. And you know, when we were kids, um, well, one of the things Joseph Campbell says, if you see your life planned out, steps A, B, C, D, that is proof that that is not your life. Parents that have their kid all planned out, tell them what to do. You know, or even if you're one of those people that has your own life all planned out, um, take take umbrage to that sometimes. But when we were kids, we would do what we called penny walks. We'd go out the front steps of my parents' house, 
we'd take a coin or a penny, which pennies probably all we could afford. Feeling good and rich, we'd take a quarter. But, um, <coughs> we'd flip the coin, and if it landed on heads, we'd go right. If it landed on tails, we'd go left. And we'd get to the next corner, we'd flip it again. And as you can imagine, if we were hitting a lot of rights, we could end up going around the block all day. <laughs> but more likely what happened was we would get a bunch of lefts and a bunch of rights and alternating, and we'd end up in some part of town that we'd never otherwise would have been to. And to me, that's a stronger metaphor for what life is about, that you will discover things along the way. You will have opportunities present themselves that if you're ready to take them, you will become what you really should be. You will become the rose that's opening into the type of rose it is or the type of flower it is without somebody having pre-programmed you. So that's about all I can t tell you without getting into a therapy session with somebody. So uh, <laughs> well, thanks. this over. Thanks, Vince. Um, Franz and Mike, could you guys talk about what it means to have community policing and just different types of policing? <laughs> Come on, Franz. <laughs> Franz could have handled this. Uh, well, simply put, it's about the community. I'm only here because you're here. I'm part of this community just like you are. It's, you know, people try and put fancy words on it, definitions, but it's very simple. I live here. My kids live here. My wife lives here. My friends live here. My relatives visit here and wish they lived here. And, and my community lives here. It's that simple. We're here for you just like you're here for us. And we start off with that and we go from there. Um, that, that's boiled down. You know, we could, we could talk about the kindler, gentler way of policing. Um, but, you know, I've never, I've only worked here. This has been my only police job. So I've only experienced this. And I've seen other places, uh, Denver, New York, LA, Honolulu, Snowmass, and um, they all do things a little bit differently. But I will say that Snowmass and Pickin County and Aspen, they're, they're pretty symbiotic. They do things together, they work well together, and their, their philosophy is very, very similar. And that's, it's all about the community. Um, it's not about law enforcement, it's about keeping the peace. And sometimes when you keep the peace, you have to arrest people and make hard decisions and you have to open up people's eyes to something they're doing that's wrong. But that doesn't mean that I'm not keeping the peace, because I am in the long run. So that's how I view it. Okay. I would agree. Uh, I think, kind of to piggyback off of what you guys were saying, I think it's important when we have those discussions with our kids that we reach out to the other resources that are out there um, and recognize what those resources are. Uh, for our children. It's, it's not just having a discussion with your kids and it's not just having a discussion um, with your community members, but it's also having that peer pressure. Um, you know, the Tipsy, Tipsy Taxi program is a good example of something that started because of a tragedy and that tragedy was a, a DUI accident um, that happened back in, in, the, in the 80s and that program has morphed into one of our most successful um, impaired driving programs in the state and that's a good example of the resources that are out there that don't always get utilized um, but they should be and that that utilization needs to happen um, from friends it needs to happen from other peers 
And that same um, token should happen ultimately in the schools and, and having that discussion with our children. So when we talk about modeling behavior, I think it's so important that we model that behavior to our friends and our community members and realize that it does take a village. It takes all of us to be part of that. And it's not just police out there enforcing the laws. It, it's incumbent upon all of us as community members to make sure that our community is safe, not just the people that wear the badge and the gun. Well, great. Thank you. I'm going to go to Curtis now, who has not had much of an opportunity to speak. Charlie. And I'm, oh, Charlie. I'm sorry. Charlie <laughs> Curtis. Curtis. Charlie Curtis. first name, probably. <laughs> yes, yes. Sorry. Um, can you address how drugs and alcohol affect the fire department, whether it's an accident or a fire or? Um, well, I actually almost wanted to say something earlier when you were talking about um, the heroin and the fentanyl. I mean, obviously, we're so. We support the Aspen Ambulance and um, police, obviously, on medical calls. So that's something that we sort of study with our EMTs or EMS providers is to just sort of um, put on the PPE. So put on your gloves and your goggles and whatever else you need to be safe as far as responding to anything like that. So it is something that goes in our mind. Obviously, a, a little out of place being uh, fire, we're just sort of emergency response, less uh, pre prevention and things like that. Although prevention's in my title. It's more for uh, fire code violations and things like that. Um, so as far as our response to maybe traffic accidents where you know, people are impaired, it, we usually refer to uh, the police officers, sheriffs. Um, if we smell something, see something, um, it's not really our place to say anything, I think, at the time, because what we're trying to do is essentially render aid for that person and, and help them uh, get in the hands of the people that can really help them uh, beyond that sort of initial accident. Okay. Charlie, have you had uh, Narcan training for, and, and are you seeing and having to handle overdoses in the So um, we're not required as um, firefighters to have any EMT, EMT training, but we do have probably, I think about 12 of us right now that are EMTs, and every single one of them has been issued Narcan. Um, just like the PD carries it, it's a little bit tougher for us, but um, we're trained by uh, Dr. Martinez, uh, who's our medical director at the hospital, um, and we're allowed to administer. Basically, in any time we feel like there could be um, an opioid overdose, um, it, it doesn't hurt to just administer it. And so it's an expensive little product, and I think a lot of communities are having trouble with that. But I think we're kind of, um, I'm sure, you know, spending a lot of money on it. But I think it's come in handy with a few people on the department um, administering it a, a few different times. And so it, it's absolutely sort of a miracle drug in our mind when you, when you do it. Someone snaps right out. And, Can you explain uh, you like what that is? What Narcan is? Yes, and how it works. Uh, well, we actually have. Uh, the nasal injector, so it's just a spray that you would um, administer. Uh, the signs you're looking for are uh, lowered respirations, maybe a cyanosis, so um, change in color of their skin, maybe a little blue. Um, if, if we come to that or we see signs on the ground um, or in the apartment or wherever we're responding that looks like potential overdose or maybe talking to someone that's on the scene that, that maybe they were taking drugs, we will go ahead and just administer it right away. Um, and if that person still has um, vital signs, it'll it'll work. Um, is the best way to put it, I suppose. Um, 
It's an overdose reversal drug that saves lives. If, yes. If you get somebody that's overdosing, um, you, you're finding it more and more in our community as mm -hmm. first responders, but also schools, uh, medical offices, and, and so forth. So it's dramatic. It, it can take somebody that's flatlined and just bring them right back to life. So I understand it's quite expensive. Is that true? It is. I don't know the actual price to it, but I think they're working on sort of dropping it. And there's different, um, I think, probably ways that you can get government grants to buy some and things like that. What's what I guess I can comment on is if anyone's uh, got anyone with that, that might sort of carry it if they're a heroin user or something like that. And sometimes they think that it's OK to have some laying around. I do know if, they, if you administer it, it only lasts for a certain amount of time. So. Uh, if you don't get that person immediately to the hospital, just like anaphylaxis with, um, you know, the injectors, it, if you don't get that person to the hospital, it could it could come right back and they're they're, they're right back into their sort of overdose immediately. So. Okay. Well, it sounds like it's a much simpler process now. It's the nasal spray. Yeah, nasal spray, and and just like um, EMTs around the state, um, you get medical medical direction from sort of certain. Uh, counties, I suppose, and, and Dr. Martinez at Aspen Valley Hospital is our medical director, so he allows us to um, be able to use those. Sort of, he, he grants us the sort of permission for almost everyone to be able to administer that drug in particular, whereas as an EMT, I'm still not allowed to administer um, intravenous drugs, things like that. I can do the, uh, the injector for... Um, the EpiPen? The EpiPens, right? Um, but I, but this one is kind of across the board. It doesn't do almost any harm. I don't think they have any side effects right now. So really, if uh, anyone knows how to sort of squeeze one of those nasal sprays, you can administer this drug. Do you need a It does, and it actually has a temperature um, range, and, which makes it tough to carry it around uh, in our cars and, and even in our trucks. So there could be potentially sitting outside for quite a long time. Um, so we do keep it in the station, and a few of our chiefs actually carry it around in their cars if the, as long as the, they're sort of garaging those vehicles. Um, I don't know what the shelf life is. I think it's about two years. It's not very long. Do you so need a prescription our first plan? round that we got, I think, a, a couple years ago was actually had, had to have been replaced, and, um, and it just it never got used, but, I mean, really, we're just, we have it just in case, so it's, it's worth the, the expense. Do you know, um, do you need a prescription for it? I don't believe so. I think it's emergent enough that, yeah. Uh, I, I'm not sure how we get Kinda? it. Kinda? <laughs> yeah, you, can't, you can't just walk into a, a drugstore and buy it. You have to have some medical direction that approves the purchase. So for the Aspen Police Department, I had to, I purchased all the Narcan for our department. Um, and it is expensive, and, uh, but I had to get a letter signed by someone like Dr. Martinez. Basically, he does a blanket medical direction for Narcan for any police officer within our department, and that form is very easy to fill out. He fills it out, and then it goes to the company that sells the Narcan, and then they sell it to you. And it's about, uh, last I checked, I think it was $80 a box of two so each box comes with two uh, inhaler things, and that's how much it costs. And we have to replace ours every two years. Yeah. Um, but all of our cars have them. Uh, the ambulance has them. You have them? We don't have them. You don't yet? I thought you did. Oh, we're going for a fire. That goes to all your medical calls. But 
Uh, usually the police or sheriff's deputies get there long before a fire department or a medic. So if we could save a life, we're going to spend the money. That's our outlook. It's, it's, it's taxpayer dollars in the end, but mm -hmm. it's to save taxpayers' lives. So yes. it's worth it. But you do have to get them to the ER. Right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And it may take more than one yeah. administration, but you do have to take them to the ER right away. It's not a set it and forget it type thing. I think everyone's seen this too. We carry it um, for a safety reason as well. You know, we can walk into a scene and not realize that fentanyl's there. And if you've seen this picture, just a small amount that's here is enough to, to kill one of us. So for us, it's a not just to administer to somebody that we come across, but it's a life-saving tool, just like the tourniquets and everything else that we carry with us. Um, it's definitely a life-saving item on our belt for us. Um, and one of the safety concerns, I think, to kind of piggyback off of what you said, that it's important to get medical attention for somebody that's been administered Narcan right away, um, because they will come <coughs> in a very low place and then kind of skyrocket. And so um, their adrenaline kicks in, and that's what Narcan's designed to do. So it's another safety concern for officers that when somebody's been um, given Narcan, that they can come up fighting, essentially. So it's just something that we need to be aware of. Okay, well, does anyone else have any questions? I have a quick question. Okay. If somebody is impaired from drugs, can they use Absolutely. Any police officer or bartender in Pickin County, Aspen, Snowmass Village, absolutely. And what does it mean? So Tipsy Taxi is a program. Basically, you'll give your keys to a peace officer or to the bartender. And correct me if I'm wrong, Mike, there's no parking tickets associated with that. And well, if you get a parking ticket, we will forgive it the next day. <laughs> <laughs> our, our concern is to get you home safe. So um, we, we're not even taking people's keys at this point. It's come up to me and say, I'm drunk, I need to ride home, or I'm high and I need to ride home, I don't want to drive, thank you for saying that, and I'll sign up this tipsy taxi form and get you a free ride home with your taxi company. And you take your ticket, you got the next morning at 6 in the morning, and bring it down, and they give them both, and they'll, okay. yes, we will forgive this. And well, isn't, dance, that's different. <laughs> isn't it uh, Ellen Anderson who got this started? Yep. Yeah. Yes. So a shout out to Ellen Anderson for that, because that's a great program. Yeah, it is. Okay. Any other questions? Oh, we have another question. No, I don't have a question. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. So from the raffle, if you ha still have your ticket. Well, we'll catch that afterwards, but um, there's one more thing I'd like to do before we all go. Um, if we could just pass the microphone around and just if there's one thing you guys want to put out about drugs and alcohol, could you just say what it is and then we'll call it an evening and we can check out those prizes. Um, I think my biggest thing would be, uh, you know, no parent's perfect. Nobody gets a, an instruction manual for how to raise their kids. Uh, I'm lucky my parents got it pretty much pretty much all right looking back. Uh, and their biggest thing was, you know, nothing was uh, taboo or off limits. You know, we had questions, uh, they had answers. And when they didn't have answers, they, they told us. Um, so, you know, for the parents in the room, my biggest advice is, you know, know what your kids are doing. Um, I love the idea of not hanging out in your bedroom. I mean, yes, you're entitled, you know, privacy is not a right, it's a privilege. Um, that was another thing that was drilled into my head. But um, I had a, a mom come into the shop saying she wanted to know the difference between the jewel and, and the packs and wanted to know which one her kid was smoking. And I said, well, if it looks like this, it's the cannabis variety. And she goes, oh, good, it's not that. 
and my mind immediately was just like, <laughs> okay. And then I come to find out that their child is 15 and she can't take it away from them. And so that is, you know, another root of the problem is, you know, know what your kids are doing, um, you know, support healthy habits. Um, you know, marijuana these days is uh, being less demonized, but it's still, you know, an over 21 drug for a reason. Uh, brains are still developing. And, um, you know, like you both said, impairment's impairment, so. Perfect. If there's one thing I, I think I would say, it's that it takes a village, it takes a community, and that's why forums such as this are so important. And I think all of us have some level of responsibility for ensuring the safety and, and the health of our children and all our community members. So it's not just us, we're an integral link in that, but I think it's incumbent upon everybody to um, be part of that process. Uh, my message would be to lean in. Get involved, stay involved, be honest. I'm a very blunt person, so maybe that's just me talking, but I believe in honesty and integrity, and if I'm not being honest with my kids, that's on me. Um, and I'm not gonna allow that to happen. So I'm gonna lean in to whatever the situation is in front of me, and discuss it openly, and make good decisions. Um, and as a community, we could do that. We could do better at that. Leaning in, being part of our community uh, with more depth and more thought put into that. So that's the direction I would go. That's my final point. I would agree with everything they just said, but uh, I remember, I can't remember who said it over here, but it was, they were talking about modeling, was it you? Uh, I think that, as far as my experience uh, with drugs, alcohol, um, even nicotine, was a big, um, something that affected me a lot is my parents were, uh, never drank, never smoked, never did any of that, and, and I sort of learned through them sort of how to live a normal life without any of that. So I, I certainly have dabbled in everything that's been on this table in my life, and uh, drinking and smoking and things like that, but um, I definitely see there's an opportunity as adults to model and show these kids how to, to live these ways and, um, and to, to be clean and sober and, and to not use anything like this. And I even think in my head, when you were saying that, is our cell phone problem? And I hear pe parents complaining about the kids on the cell phone while the parent is on the cell phone. And it's just kind of, it's, it, it's funny that the kids are looking <laughs> at you too. And um, so I, I think that would be my final sort of say, is that we definitely need to sort of show them how, how they can live life without any of this thing any of this and other things on the table? I'd say the same thing I say to clients that don't want to pay $150 an hour for private psychotherapy. And I say, I understand completely. That's a lot of money. So you can do it on your own. You only have to do two things. You have to become <coughs> dead honest with yourself. And you have to be persistent in finding the meaning of your life that exceeds all these pitfalls. And you don't have to spend a dime. I'd like to say thank you uh, to all of our civil servants. Um, as someone that has raised a family here in Aspen, I think we have um, a really wonderful community that way. It does take a village, and I think when certain things are brought to life, everybody is pretty progressive about the way they think and their thought patterns. And 
that right there provides such a great opportunity for us to continue with that progression and making really bold moves and showing people in other communities how this can be done. Um, I've dealt with a wealth of issues, um, addiction being one of the main ones, and the way that the civil servants in this community have handled these um, circumstances is just uh, really beautiful, I must say. Um, and my, I've always said uh, from the time I moved here 16 years ago that all, it, it would be such a great thing if all of our civil servants in this country um, acted in the way that our local ones do. So thank you very much for what you do and being present and um, wanting to provide those safeguards. <laughs> yeah, I would, I would echo that. My, my, my kids are living in Los Angeles and New York now, but they hug uh, Brian and Huff every time they come back. And, um, and they hug their friends. This is a great, it does take a, a village, and this is a great place to raise kids. Um, I think for all the exposures and temptations, they get great messages. What I took away from tonight, um, I, I agree with you, Vince, talk with them, you know, I love that. And then also, curiosity, not control. I, I just think that's a, the whole hero's journey and everything like that, find a purpose and a meaning, but, um, you know, that's a thing I can model, and hopefully my kids will be more curious than controlling when it's their turn, so. It's been great for me. Thank you for this. One of the things that I like to do is remind my students that we live in a community that truly cares. And there are so many resources. And I tell them that if you can't even speak with your parents, that there are people like your educators, your, your people at CMC, there are your teachers at school, our law enforcement officials. We have so many wonderful nonprofits in this community. But it just takes reaching out occasionally. And while we see signs sometimes and we can reach out and touch them, it just requires that they sometimes ask for a little bit of help. The other thing is I like to remind my students that there's one place we all have to go. We're all going to end up in the obituaries. We're all going to go back to our creator someday. But I like to remind them that they do have a choice to stay out of the police blotter. <laughs> and six out, of, six out of every eight crimes that I see in our community, I'm from Miami, so it's much different in Miami where you have a lot of violent crime, but six out of every of one of those crimes in this police blotter are generally drugs or alcohol related. And I said, you have a conscientious choice, and you can make that choice to stay out of that police blotter. So I, I think they should know that we care about them and that they have a community surrounding them. So probably what I would say is start educating your kids early about drugs talk to them, teach them what drugs are, what they do to you, and then also introduce them to the police officers and the teachers that, you know, people in the community that they could then trust and go to for help when they need help. So. All right, well, I wanna thank everyone for coming. <laughs> Appreciate all your input, and everyone, I'm glad that you, everyone showed up, and I think it's been a great evening. Thanks. Thank you.